O Lord our God, we have gathered in your most holy name that we might drink together from the water of life. We come to praise you, for you are Lord of all creation, to enjoy you, for you are our Heavenly Father, to learn from you, for you are our wonderful counselor, and to serve you, for you are our almighty King. Open up the floodgates of heaven, Lord. Let the river of life flow through this great city as we seek to love our neighbors as you've loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're continuing a sermon series that we've called, I Love My Church. Um, now that might seem like an odd thing to say. I mean, we're here to love Jesus, right? Uh, but the church is described as Jesus' bride, as the family of God. And we know from Scripture that Jesus loves the church. He died for the church. And so really, uh, these words are not coming from me or for us, per se, but these are the words of Christ. Jesus saying, I love my church. And because of that, we can also say, I love my church too, right? And, and I love this church. Every week, I am amazed at, uh, to, to see what God is doing across our two campuses and six congregations. Last Saturday, I was in Roland Heights, um, and our Spanish congregation had an outreach event in honor of uh, Dia de la Independencia, uh, Mexican Independence Day, uh, with, uh, they had special music and dancing and food from Latin American countries like Peru and Colombia and Nicaragua. I love that we are a multi-ethnic church. Um, yesterday, our uh, worship team uh, helped lead worship, and I led a workshop at a uh, uh, a, a discipleship ministries conference in Monrovia. We were connecting youth and children's workers across our district, and we were able to help with that. Um, yesterday, we also hosted three tables at a fundraiser for Vicasita, which is uh, one of our strategic ministry partners in India. We care for widows and orphans. We, uh, we help provide job training for, uh, for uh, widows and train pastors and missionaries, and our youth team uh, led, a wor led worship there. Today, we got youth church going on right now at the Bridge House. We're baptizing our friends Joanne uh, and uh, dedicating baby Jeremiah. We are hosting a luncheon afterwards. We've got a couples group meeting at our house tonight. Uh, in a couple weeks, we're hosting homeless families. It's just there's so much stuff going on in our church. I love it. It's awesome. It's never boring, and, uh, and this is a church that we can be proud of. We are the family of God, and I just want to say, guys, keep being awesome. Right? Keep being awesome. We are the bride of Christ. Jesus loves the church. He loves our church. Uh, he gave his life up for the church so that we could be brought to life. And we have to have high expectations of the church because Jesus has high expectations of the church. And so my challenge, um, I guess, throughout this series to all of us is to invite you to join us in being awesome together and, and to have those high hopes and those, those high dreams. Let us become the church that Jesus dreams of that he died to create. We are inviting you to join the conversation uh, by, through text, or you can go on Twitter and, and tweet your comments and your questions, and we'll try to answer them throughout the week, maybe incorporate them into the next uh, sermon series. Uh, I'm happy to talk about them after, after church out on the courtyard. Uh, so uh, please join us in that. Last week, uh, Pastor Johnny explained that to be an awesome church, there are five things that should be happening, what Rick Warren calls uh, the five purposes of the church, and they are uh, worship and fellowship, discipleship, ministry, 
in evangelism. And Pastor Johnny shared with you that th this is what these things do for the body of Christ. We, we grow stronger as a body through worship. We grow warmer through fellowship. We grow deeper through discipleship. We go broader through ministry, and we go larger through evangelism. So each of these five weeks, we're going to be talking in depth about one of these areas and what that looks like. Now, a long time ago, sailors would um, suffer from a disease called scurvy. Right? Anybody go to uh, Krispy Kreme last week for Talk Like a Pirate Day or Dress Like a Pirate Day and get those free donuts? You're going, you could have gotten you scurvy dog, and they would have given you a free donut. But scurvy is a disease which is caused by a lack of vitamin C. And so they discovered that uh, sailors, when they left port, they would eat all of their fruit and vegetables first because they would, they would spoil. And the longer they were at sea, the more they suffered from that vitamin C deficiency, and they would get sick. And so eventually someone figured out that you could, um, you could cure scurvy by giving, people, giving the sailors oranges. But the British preferred to use limes. And so that's why they called the English limeys. That's where that comes from. The church is the body of Christ, and like any other living thing, we need certain things to be healthy. We need certain nutrients, like the five food groups, right? So think of these things like the five food groups. If we're, not, if we're deficient in one area, we will eventually uh, begin to feel unhealthy and dissatisfied and undernourished. So these are, these are things that all need to be happening. So today we're going to focus on the uh, role of worship. Worship. Every single one of us was created to worship God. This, this is an instinct in us that is hardwired into every human being. It's in our DNA. We were created for a life of worship. Now, churches are often called houses of worship, right? It's a house of worship. So we instinctively understand that this place is not supposed to be a place to socialize. It's a place of worship where, where we come to. We're not just followers of Jesus. We are worshipers of Jesus. Now, that, that, by definition, that is what a Christian is. That's what we do. We, we worship Jesus. And so what does that look like? What is the difference between saying, I admire Jesus and I follow Jesus versus I worship Jesus? They communicate different things, don't they? So the question is, well, what, what does that mean? What is what is worship? How do we worship? And typically when we think about worship, we imagine that time that we spend together on Sunday mornings, this time right here. We even call this the worship service. And specifically when we think of worship, you're thinking about singing, right? We think about that first 20 minutes that we call the worship time. Now, now let's think about that for a second. Right? Let's think about that for a second. Jesus taught us that we were created to worship God so, so what he had in mind is, is that we would spend 20 minutes a week singing songs together. So, so God became flesh and, and spent 33 years among us teaching and, and healing the sick and dying on the cross and, and, uh, and rising from the dead so that we could stop for 20 minutes a week and sing. I mean, it sounds really silly, right? Obviously, worship is, is a lot more, more than that time. So let, let's talk about what, the, what that means. Uh, in 1828, Webster's, uh, sorry, that should say 1828, Webster's Dictionary um, defined worship as to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. 
the uh, old English word for worship is worthskip, which means worthship, to ascribe worth unto. In other words, whatever you place the highest worth on, whatever you value most highly, that is what you worship. Human beings are actually created to form attachments. This goes against, um, let's say, the Buddhist philosophy, which says that the path to enlightenment is to let go of your attachments. But Christianity says, no, we're made in the image of God, and the nature of God is love, and love by nature is an attachment. We, we are created to form deep bonds, instinctively. And so in that sense, we all worship something. We all form deep attachments, deep bonds to things that we care about. Uh, we, we, uh, we, we, there are things that get the first dibs on our time and our, our, our resources uh, and our talents and whatever that is, that it, it, functionally speaking, you may not use that word, but functionally speaking, that is the object of our worship. That is what we prize most highly. That is what we, what we value. And the scriptures tell us that what we are meant to worship, to value, to prize above all else, to ascribe the greatest worth to, is our creator, is our heavenly father, is God. So that's where that English word comes from. But biblically, you know how it's, it's often said that Eskimos have like a hundred words for snow? Well, the Hebrews had a lot of different words for worship. Um, and so in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see at least 10 different words in Hebrew and at least 13 different words in Greek that get translated as the word worship. It's not just one word. It's, it's like at least 23, 24, 25 words that are translated as worship in the Bible. And they have a range of meaning, including things like bowing down or falling prostrate or inquiring or seeking or making, or singing, or, or, or dancing, or supplicating, or surrendering. All these words have one thing in common. They all have one thing in common, and that is they tell us that worship is not a state of mind. It's not an attitude. Worship is something that is visceral, something that is a physical response to God. Worship is always described in terms that suggest movement and action and interaction and relationship. In other words, to worship, you have to get up and you have to do something or it's not worship. And this idea is amplified in the book of Exodus where we find what I believe is perhaps the most mind-blowing, uh, game-changing word for worship. And it's the Hebrew word, abad which means to serve, to work. And which we translate that in the Bible as worship. But it actually means to serve. And so we see this in Exodus, all over Exodus. The Lord um, tells Moses, you know the story, to go to Pharaoh and, and say, uh, you know, I've seen my people in bondage and slavery. I'm sending you to, to liberate them. And he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go that they may worship me. And so we have this idea of the Israelites going out to the, to the desert and just kind of bowing down. But the word that is used here does not mean bow down. It's the word abad. So what he's saying is to tell Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. Not you, Pharaoh, but to serve the Lord. 
And you can see now why Pharaoh was so threatened by that. Let my people go, that they may serve me. I have work for them to do. So Abad doesn't mean bow down or sing or dance. It means serve. It means work. To worship God is to serve God. And to serve God is to worship God. We see this again in Joshua 24, 15. Joshua calls the Israelites to renew their covenant with God. And he says, choose this day whom you will abide, whom you will serve, whom you will worship. Choose whom you will work for, whom you will honor with your time and your talents and your treasures. See, the, the Israelites and the early Christians, they all, they all understood this. That there is a vital connection between worship and service. Between worship and work. Jesus, just as, as uh, God used Moses to free the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, Jesus came to save us, to liberate us from slavery to sin, so that we might worship him. In other words, so we might serve him. He's got work for us to do. We are invited to join in the work of building the kingdom of God. That's what families do. That's what, that's what we do. We work together. And so to worship God is to serve God. To serve God is to worship God. So let me ask you a question then. Who is serving, who, who is really worshiping God right now during this time? During this, uh, what we call the worship service. Is it the people who are sitting here, standing here singing? Or is it our children's volunteers that are over across in the gym teaching our kids, serving the Lord? Which is a truer form of worship? I, I know a pastor who was strongly criticized by a church member because he took a Sunday off uh, and he, he got a guest speaker to come in. And he did that because he wanted to run the LA Marathon with Team World Vision to raise money for clean water. And a church member said, you are setting a bad example. You're setting a bad example. You're telling people that worship is not important. But that pastor was worshiping God. He was serving God's purposes. To serve is to worship, and to worship is to serve. Um, he was using his body as a tool to raise money for the poor. How is that not worship? You see, God is not after the praise of our lips. Some, sometimes non-Christians, you know, they'll, they're like, what is it about your, your faith in your God? I mean, what, is this God having like an ego problem where, where, you know, he needs people to like say how awesome he is? That's not what God is after. He's not after the praise of our lips. He's after our hearts and our hands. In Isaiah 29, we read the, uh, a, a strong uh, condemnation against the people of Israel uh, who had wandered from God and weren't, weren't, were living in a very uh, ungodly, unjust, oppressive way. And this is what uh, the, the, uh, the prophet Isaiah said, uh, the words of, of God through the prophet Isaiah. God says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
They're singing all the songs, but they don't, they don't care about me in their hearts. It's all just going through the motions. Their worship of me is based merely on human rules that they've been taught. And earlier on, he explains that a little bit more. In Isaiah 1, chapter 1, he says, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough of burnt offerings. Don't bring me another calf. Don't bring me another animal to sacrifice. I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Your new moons and Sabbaths and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Can you imagine God saying to us, I can't stand your worship services. But that's what was going on. He says, your feasts and your festivals, I hate with all my being. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. And so he continues in Isaiah 1.16, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. This is the worship that I desire. This is what worship looks like. In Amos 5.21, he continues the same idea. He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Away with the noise of your songs, but let justice roll down, like, roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. So what, what is the difference between admiring Jesus and following Jesus and worshiping Jesus? A person who worships Jesus has made knowing and enjoying and most importantly serving Jesus the highest priority in their life. Worship is any time that there is a concrete, tangible expression of this worth that we ascribe to God. And so with that in mind, I want to ask a question. What is the purpose of these Sunday morning gatherings? What is supposed to happen in this thing that we call the worship service? We gather so that we can be reminded of why God is worthy of our worship and devotion, and then to respond to that love by reprioritizing our lives so that God comes first. We gather here so we can consider how we might worship God. In other words, how we might serve God. Our worship services should result in us reordering our lives so that we can serve God. That's worship. Does, does that make sense? Let me state that again. Our worship gatherings are a time when our church family comes together to rearrange our lives so that Christ is our highest priority. That's why we sing. We sing because as we do so, we are reordering our priorities in our minds as we sing. We remind ourselves, yes, God first. Jesus is worthy of our worship and devotion. We sing not for God's benefit, but for our benefit, to express that, to express the people that we want to become. Maybe not that we are right now, but the people that we are striving to be. That's why we pray. That's why we are prayed for. Lord, reorder my life. Get my priorities straight. Help me to exalt you. That's why we pray. That's why we pray for other people. That's why we serve. That's why we give. We, we give. Do you know why we give each week? We give. When we do that, we're saying money is not my top priority. 
It's not because God needs your money. He's not trying to get your money. He's trying to make sure that your money doesn't get you. We lay down our, our money before God because we say, this is not my God. And, and the more that you are free from, from your love of money, the freer you are as a human being. And so we give for our benefit to communicate our priorities, right? Giving is for your good. That's why uh, we do all of these things. Everything that we do in this, this time that we are together is to elevate Jesus to his proper place in our lives, week after week, year after year. This is tangible evidence that knowing and serving God is our priority. We come to be equipped to serve God because worship is serving and serving is worship. So it's not accurate to say that our children's worshipers, sometimes uh, our, our children's volunteers, sometimes we say, well, they, they didn't get to worship. Yes, they did. What they were doing is worship. They didn't get to sing, perhaps, you know. They didn't get to hear the sermon, but they got to worship, right? That's worship. Some of us have trouble worshiping God through song, right? It's like, I just, I'm not really that, I don't, I just, I don't, I know it moves some people, but that's just not how I'm wired. And you just kind of wait for the songs to be over, right? Does that mean that you, you don't worship God? Or you have no opportunity to worship God? Absolutely not. Because worship, singing is only one form of worship, right? And in fact, I believe that God prefers uh, Service the way we serve God as a form of worship over the praise of our lips. What's more pleasing or honoring to God? Us singing a song or us serving people in His name? What is more meaningful to Him? So let's talk um, about this 90-minute time that we spend together on Sunday mornings. Now, obviously, if this was all the, the time that we spent together, we never got together during the week, that would be limited, right? It's like, if I exercise once a week, it's got, I've got some benefit, right? But if I exercise like three or four times a week, I'm going to get a lot more benefit. So meeting once a week is good, it's healthy, it's important, it's better than not meeting at all, but we would prefer that we meet outside of this time as well. If I saw my family once a week, let's say I traveled for work and I only got to fly in on Sundays and I got to see my family, I touch down and I like drive home and I say, like, oh, all right, let's, I'm going to spend an hour and a half with you, 90 minutes with you, but then I got to go, see you later. And I only, that was the only window of time I spent with my family each week. What kind of relationship would we have, right? So um, what I want to communicate to you is this 90-minute time is important. It's not the only time, but we, let's talk about how to make the most of this 90 minutes that we have. Because this is a time when we are all together. So I want us to take a break for five minutes or so. And I want you to kind of discuss with the people around you what, what do you think should happen during this time if the goal of our time together is to rearrange our lives so that Jesus is the highest priority. Then is the way that we approach this 90-minute time, is it accomplishing that purpose? What... What could we be do creatively to, to, for this time to be a little different? And it's okay if your answer is, I'm not sure. And you're just thinking out loud. That's okay. Well, let's take a few minutes, and I want you to turn to a couple people next to you and just say, yeah, yeah what, what could we do during this time if we were to start all over? Go ahead and do that for a minute. So... 
thanks for engaging in that just for a moment. I, I know that um, I know that a few minutes is not really sufficient to get into a deep discussion, but I just wanted to get your creative juices going because what I want to do for the next 10 minutes or so is kind of do a bit of reimagining, okay? Um, so what are some things that, that are supposed to happen during this time? If our goal by the end is that Jesus has kind of moved up in the priority list of our lives by the end of our 90 minutes here. What, what should happen, right? How, how do we make that if, that, if that's what worship is? Well, one thing I think is important is that we continue to praise God. It's important to express, somehow express, uh, whatever faith we do have and be called to something greater. Now, typically, this takes the form of singing, right? That's how we praise God. But we can also praise God through prayer. And, and the prayers that we pray ought to be very authentic and, and heartfelt. You don't need to sound like anything other than who you are. But you, what we are doing is we are expressing our longing for something more, for Jesus to become more clear to us or greater in our lives, a, a deeper understanding. Praise can also take the form of serving the poor together. So when we, um, uh, let's say we have like a, a food bank every week and, and we all brought canned goods and we just lay them down at the altar, that's a form of worship. That's a form of saying, God, you are my priority. And I, am, and I am literally putting food down and asking for an opportunity to distribute this to the poor. That is my way of praising you. That is my way of saying you are important. You are, you are glorious. You are worthy. Uh, maybe artistic expression, having uh, a big canvas up here and someone painting as an expression of, of God's majesty and love for God as we are, as we are worshiping. We praise God through, through artwork. Uh, through writing a card of thanks to somebody, by making the sanctuary beautiful. Maybe giving the sanctuary a makeover is one of the ways that we praise God. We say, God, you are, you are majestic and wonderful and important. We want a, a place that, that reflects that. And so praise goes beyond just singing. Uh, another thing that should happen is learning. You should walk out of here having your your, your thinking uh, challenged or stimulated in some way. You, you learn something new. You looked at things in a different way. Uh, you, you understand an aspect of God that you didn't really understand before. And so we come to learn. Now, you can get information on the Internet. You could do that at home. But there's something about communal learning. There's something about, uh, about wisdom that is found in the community. Preaching is one way that this happens, but it's not the only way that it happens. Preaching isn't the only way that we learn. Uh, people in the, in, the, uh, in the church historically have learned through communal Bible reading. This idea that you are supposed to um, have morning devotions, we talk about that all the time, and you open up your Bible and you have a personal devos, that is a very, very new thing. Because for the first, you know, 15, 16, 1700 years of the church, nobody owned a Bible. And the only way that you could have access to it was to come to church and hear it read to you. Communal Bible reading. This, this idea of, uh, of doing your own personal... I'm not knocking that. I'm not saying it's not important. But there's something about coming together in community to learn from the scriptures. The also, what's, what's new, what's recent, is this idea of always having an application in a sermon. I always have to tell you what you're supposed to do with this, right? But the Bible isn't... Some, some 
uh, letters, and some areas of the Bible should be read like that, but a lot of it isn't. And I'll give an example. The, the Bible is not always a how-to manual. Sometimes we simply read to get to know God better. Now imagine if uh, Christine and I were long distance for a long time in our relationship. We communicated through letters, and I would wait for her letter to get to me. Now imagine every time I read one of her letters, I'd say, but what is the application? What am I supposed to do with this? Right? What's the how-to? It's, it's not that kind of document. It's a love letter. Right? And, so, and so sometimes we simply read God's word to hear God's words of love to us. And that's okay. There is no application other, word, other than just to enjoy God. Uh, but communal learning and Bible reading, that's important. Another thing I think should happen in this 90-minute time is conversation. And that is really missing from the way that we uh, structure that 90-minute time. Now, some of you, you don't want to talk to each other. I want to, and my encouragement to you is give it a chance. You're actually wired for conversation. Human beings are. And if we structure things a little differently, we can make that, that, those opportunities feel really natural. Um, uh, so how would we do that? Maybe uh, change the way that the courtyard is done. We create communal spaces for conversation, uh, patio furniture. We have lunch every week out on the patio, but some, some way for you to sit and talk to people during that 90-minute time. It should feel like family. So there needs to be areas for conversation. You need an opportunity to give, as I talked about. That is, that is a way that we, we reprioritize our lives, as we give. Uh, we serve. There should be an opportunity for you to serve here, because that's a, one of the ways that you worship God. And so when you come to church, you say, how can I help? How can I be involved? You're, you are part of the worship service. That is worshiping God. A person who comes to your home, um, who comes in and and they, 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 they sit down and, and they just kind of wait for, you know, for it to be served. They come over for a dinner party and they just come in and they just sit down and they just wait. What do we call that person? Okay, antisocial. I wasn't thinking of a bad word. But we just call that person a guest. They're a guest in your home. We don't expect them to do anything. Uh, they're, they're there as, uh, as our... As our, as our honored guest. And we have those people in church. Some of you are guests today. We didn't, we didn't expect anything of you. We are here to serve you. We're glad that you're here. But, but that would be really weird if that person that came into your home and sat down and waited to be served was your son. Right? Or your wife. <laughs> right? When you're family, the expectation is different. Right? We all jump in. We get ready to help. Uh, and so serving God and serving each other is worship. So I'd like us to imagine um, for a moment, just a creative imagining, what church could look like. Some of you, you haven't been to a lot of other churches. You don't know what else is, uh, is out there. And I want to show you a, a brief video of uh, a church called Solomon's Porch in Minneapolis. The pastor's Dan Kimball. This is what their church looks like. Um, it's just a whole bunch of old couches, and it really looks like a living room. It's really intimate, lots of conversation. And all of these couches um, are, were just donated by people in the church, and they all look different. They're all worn, and they represent people. We're all different. And we're kind of this motley collection of you know, very interesting, diverse people. And their style of preaching is very conversational. Uh, there, it feels like a family, and they just celebrated their 15th anniversary last year. And I want to short, show you a short video of what their family looks like, and how they uh, structure their um, their service so that so that Jesus is at the center, 
and, and learning what it means to worship him is at the center. Um, and I'm not saying that we should copy them. I'm just trying to expand our thinking, right? For us to start being creative about how we approach this time. So let's turn out the lights and we'll, we'll see a little video what their church looks like. Let's visit their church for a few minutes. I would describe Solomon's Porch to someone who's never been here as uh, a group of people who are okay with living in the questions. And we try to understand what it means to be in the world as good people. There's always a story to tell, whether it's art or it's music or reading a piece out of the Bible or soapbox sermons. We're still bringing our own stories into those dialogues and those conversations. Thank you for your participation in this community, whether it's been long-term or it's brand new. And thank you for uh, sharing your life with the rest of us. Yeah, 15 years. It's a long time. When we started, it was so transient, and we had all the college students that would come in, and a small group of people who always stuck around, but everyone else just left. And now it seems like there's a much more cohesive group of people that are sticking around and having kids. Hello, Micah and Aiden and whoever else is watching this Hello. We started coming to Solomon's Porch two and a half years ago. I came to the porch probably 12 years ago. I joined the porch about uh, seven or eight years ago. Uh, I moved here from Kansas City, and my pastor there told me about this, this little small church in uh, Minneapolis that had sofas. <laughs> and uh, he said, you might fit in. I came a couple of times, and the rest is history. When you hear church, you think pews, and you're looking at someone's back, and the pastor or the priest is up high. And, and I just think one of our most defining features is our space, and how we choose to meet, and how we choose to interact while we're in our gathering. I knew about Solomon's Porch uh, for a long time before I came here. It was probably a year and a half that I'd known about it, because um, it existed in my head. Uh, I was thinking about it for a long time. In a lot of ways, um, from, from my own experience, and I think a lot of people have said things like this, Solomon's Porch was like this thing in their head that they wondered if it could exist in the world. There is none of that pressure. Everything feels very authentic, and everything is very collaborative and participatory. So you're just invited to jump in and contribute, and if that's not going to be perfect, that's okay. A lot of the things I had been taught were built in kind of a fear and took a long time to unlearn that, but when I did unlearn that, I was really excited to find that there was a community that embraced that style of thinking and that is a philosophy um, that's central to the church. Uh, it's a safe place to explore faith or lack of it. We don't have a lot of answers, uh, but we are people who are open uh, to each other and to the world. Uh, we like to explore uh, what it means to know God and know ourselves and know each other. I just look forward to seeing people 
and hearing people's stories even during the gathering, people get to share. No matter what's happened, you're loved and you feel it here. A lot of things have changed, a lot of faces and names, but a lot of the values and the purpose uh, for why the porch exists uh, are still there, and that's really neat to see. The Salmon's Porch has changed a lot, I think, um, but it's sort of like the way that a child changes over time. Like when you go back and look at baby pictures of someone, you see those similarities in who they are, or you see them when they're six and seven years old, and then in their adolescence and then adulthood. You see these similarities, but you also see those changes. Like it feels a lot like that. Everybody kind of, uh, their journey at the porch starts at a specific point in time, and uh, I kind of know how the porch transition from my entry point after but I you know I didn't really know a lot before then. I feel like this last 10-12 years has been really huge. Of course lots of things have changed in my life but I do feel like being in a community that's so safe and open and supportive has certainly been a huge way of supporting me. I'd met somebody who mentioned Solomon's Porch, and so I came, and I didn't really like it right away because everybody knew each other, and I felt like I couldn't really fit into that. And then I met a girl, and that helped a little bit, uh, and uh, the rest is history, so to say. The first time that we came in, people said, oh, you're pregnant? Well, we, we give people meals after they have babies, so we'll, you should sign up for that, and also we'd love to throw you a shower, and we just had never had a response like that, so we felt welcomed right away. Rachel and I started going here, we got married here, and um, just it felt like such a part of things from, from attending events here, being part of the Sunday, doing an art show here, building a playground. Um, these are all ways that we've felt really involved here and are just really happy to call this our family. The 15 year gathering celebration was heartfelt and I enjoyed that part about it. job of holding what we have lightly, like holding the format lightly and being open for ways for things to change. So I feel like it could look, I, I don't know, it could be anything. So 15 years ago, I tried to make a commitment to not think about what it would look like in the future because for me, it's really hard for me not to grab onto that um, and to make that um, the goal of how we should be because um, I can get pretty dreamy and uh, every expectation that I would have had 15 years ago about who we would be in 15 years would have been a, a less beautiful version of what it became. This is a place that I feel really great about saying hey you should come check this out um, or you should just come join us sometime. Uh, we have a lot of young kids and a lot of young parents right now. Um, I think there's a groundswell of a lot of new energy and uh, a lot of new ideas. Keep being creative and being who you are and being authentic and just bringing yourselves, whatever that is, to the community because it's important. Bye, Emma. Say bye, Salmon's Porch. Bye, Salmon's Porch.
that feel like a performance to you? Does that church feel like they're put on a show for people? I mean, there is some intentionality to the way they design it, for sure. I, I think it's very important that we continue to have uh, a posture of creativity and imagination. What we do with this, with this time that we call the worship service. And that we continue to examine how we can try different things with the goal of allowing Jesus to come to the forefront of our lives, to reprioritize our lives so that God comes first. And so what I'd like to ask for us as we move forward is I'd like to invite you, I'd like to ask you as your pastor to give us space to experiment, to give us space to experiment with what happens during this 90-minute time. And I want, to, I want to share with you one of the kind of inside peek at what pressure that pastors often feel. And it's a very real pressure. I'm not just making this up. It said if we change something, people will leave. That's a very real thing. It's happened in this church. Every time I want to be creative and try something new, I count the cost. Will I lose someone? Will we lose some, a member of our family? Now imagine if, if we were all living in, in the house, in, in my home, and, and uh, we started serving a different type of food for dinner. And my son, Eli, said, I'm out of here. Or if I bought a new couch, I said, okay, we're going to have like an L-shaped couch now instead of the two, you know, the regular couch and the love seat. And Christine said, I'm done. And she left. Would that not be weird? What is the church? Is it, a, is it a, an event that we attend, that we can stop attending when we feel like it? Or is it a family? People have left this church because, let's say, different reasons. Um, one time it was a typo in the membership materials, and they thought I was preaching heresy. It was a mistake. And I said I would correct it. They left. Didn't matter how much I tried to convince them. Another person left because um, they thought the sanctuary wasn't reverent enough when, when we started. People were talking to each other. They wanted it to be silent. We explained to them why we felt it was important for people to connect with each other. And we weren't going to ask people to, to shut their mouths when they walk in the door. They left. Last year, we, uh, a couple years ago, we tried this format where we stopped and we said, okay, I want you to talk to each other. Or we changed the seats like this. And some people left. They came back. But for a while, they weren't here. And can I tell you, that hurt deeply, deeply. I don't, I'm usually not that candid. It hurt. Grieved over. So what I'm, I'm begging you to do, asking you to do, when we make changes, do not jump ship. Don't run. That's not what family does. I want you to voice your opinion. I want you to be part of the conversation. We will invite that. 
And I'm not saying that it's my way or the highway. It's never like that. We enter into a dialogue. But when all is said and done and the church comes to a consensus, we're going to move this way. I pray that you would journey with us in that. Because we're an ecclesia. We are the called out people of God. We are a koinonia. We share a bond that goes deeper than blood. It's supposed to. Because it's the blood of Christ that binds us together. And so I, I'm asking you to give us room to be creative. That's my, my humble request to you. On a second more practical note, what's one thing that you can do uh, to, to help us become uh, this, this church community that we're trying to be? A couple of weeks ago, we asked you to come early. Because when you come early, you get to set the tone for the day. You get to join us in welcoming people when we come in. Last week, Pastor Johnny uh, asked you uh, to keep up on the sermons. Because the sermons are how we speak to our community and how we shape our community. So if you missed it, listen to it. You can go on our website. You can listen to it there. Uh, if you don't have access to the internet, tell us. We'll make a copy for you on a CD. The third um, thing that I would ask you to do today is when you come, uh, it's a very simple thing. But if our worship services are meant to be an exuberant time of, of joy and coming together, I would ask you to sit closer to the front. It's a very simple thing. Um, because when we fill up the front and then begin to fill up the back, it, it, it communicates to people coming in that there's life here. You know, so um, I, I really enjoy being able to see your faces and uh, connect with you as your pastor and as your, as your brother in Christ, to be family. Um, when you sit around, if we were sitting around a dinner table um, and, and somebody decided to sit on the other side of the room on a couch, that would feel a bit weird, right? We all come to the table together. So that's just my invitation. If you really prefer sitting at the back, I'm not, I don't want to shame you. I don't want to guilt you for that. I'm just asking you. I think it would help if uh, we sat a little closer to the front. Uh, so with all of that, I, I do want us as a church to start rethinking what worship looks like so that it's meaningful and that it's helpful to people uh, and that, uh, that it's inclusive, it's a conversation, and I just want to thank you for being part of that process uh, from the bottom of my heart. I love this church. I love you. Uh, and I want us to thrive. And I know God does. So let's pray. Lord, we come together every week um, to elevate you to the center of our lives. That's what worship is. We come uh, not just to sing, um, but... Uh, to give and to converse with each other, to serve, consider how we, how we might serve you more because service is worship and worship is service. These two, two things are deeply connected. We are on a journey where we are uh, exploring new possibilities for who we can become as a church family and uh, that'll be uncomfortable at times. But I believe that... Um, it's a healthy thing. It's a healthy thing for churches to grow and adapt and, and have uh, an opportunity to imagine something more beautiful and more fruitful. So lead us in that path. We thank you, Lord, for guiding our family. In Jesus' name, amen.